how priceless our lives are. All right, the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4 is where we are. Esther chapter 4 and verse number 13. Esther chapter 4 and verse number 13. That you are working, that you are moving in a particular purpose. Father, help us to Esther chapter 4 and verse number 13. The Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Help us Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Let's pray. <coughs> father, I thank you for the goodness that you've shown us. And Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity of being here. <coughs> Excuse me. Father, I pray now that you would use the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would be present. Father, I pray that you would remove any pride, any distraction, anything that might hinder the communication of your word. Father, we pray for thy spirit, that he would have free rule and free reign in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would move among us and that we would be encouraged, that we would grow through having been here. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. There once was an ancient king. He was a powerful king. He was a ruler of a vast and extensive domain. His kingdom stretched from India to Egypt, 127 provinces, dozens of governors, Many, many people lived under the hex of his domination. This powerful man was a Persian. He was the grandson of Cyrus the Great, the son of Darius. The Persians called him Xerxes. Our Bible uses the Greek translation, Ahasuerus. The Persians, being fond of their drink and of impressing people, were holding a lavish, lavish feast at Sushan. They entertained for a purpose. Ahasuerus' father, Darius, had been in a battle with the Greeks in 490 BC, the Battle of Marathon, where he was defeated. And his son, Ahasuerus, was chafing to get back to Greece, teach them a lesson, and extend his kingdom. After extensive planning and consultation with the people that had come to the feast and the banquet, he began to show them his capabilities. He showed them his ability to manufacture arms. He showed them the strategic ability of his planners. He showed them that he was worthy of them committing their subjects to his war, where they might be sacrificed by their thousands. He showed them what it was he could do. And then, on the seventh day, at the climax of this great feast, he wanted to show them one more thing. Look with me in Esther chapter 1 and verse number 5. Esther chapter 1 and verse number 5. <clears throat> when the days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Sushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble, the beds were of gold and silver, and a pavement of red and blue, white and black, 
and marble. It was a feast that a Persian monarch would have delighted in. They think it was about 60,000 square feet. There were tiles in the floor, red, blue, white, and black. Blue and, and white and green uh, fine linen hang, hung on scarlet cords connected to silver rings that were connected to these beautiful marble pillars that went around the edge of this garden. As impressive as this was, he wanted to impress his guests with one more thing, the beauty of his wife. Verse number 10. On the seventh day, the heart of the king was merry with mine. He commanded Menuhem, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, Carcass, and several chamberlains that were in the presence of Hazareth the king, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal, to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the, queen, but the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned within him. It is interesting to note that in this garden, on the seventh and final day at the climax, as this capricious, whimsical leader has the audacity to try and bring his, march his wife out so that men could admire her, he, in the midst of his error, is being used. Now, God does not cause him to do this, but God most certainly uses the mistakes that we sometimes make. God is bigger than the decisions of men. Here, the door cracks open, and we see this king making this foolish mistake, but we also begin to hear, we begin to see the wheels of providence rolling. Because while he was making this mistake, God was conducting his purposes. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, in verse number 1, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. The king directs the nation, and God directs the king. Could the queen refuses the request of her drunken husband, and she is then removed from being queen. My friend, this is not a chance. This is not some random act. This is not some thing that just some random occurrence that occurred in some ancient kingdom. This is the hand of God moving to protect and provide for his people. He is in control of human affairs, and he is always accomplishing his purposes through those that delight in him. And here he begins to move to protect his people. Chapter 2 and verse number 2. Esther chapter 2 and verse number 2. Then said the king's servant that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, unto the, hus unto the custody of Hegai, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let the things for purification be given them. Verse number four. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Ashdai. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Outwardly, the king is trying to install a queen. But he inadvertently created a vacuum. He created a need for a woman. 
to become queen. And this is exactly what God wanted. Men decide, men act, but God is greater. And he accomplishes his purposes in spite of the choices that men make. Esther 2 and verse number 8. Esther chapter 2 and verse number 8. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard. And when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace to the custody of Hegai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Hegai, the keeper of women. Now think about this with me. Here is Esther, humble, young Jewish woman, probably a, um, a very godly woman, She's under the tutelage of Mordecai, versed in the law, saved and loves God. And of all the women in the kingdom, of the multiplied thousands and thousands of women, she is chosen. And of the handful of women that are chosen, she is promoted. Look at verse number 9 of chapter 2. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her the things for purification and such things as belonged to her, seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Notice her meteoric rise. She is given preference. She is given position. She is given favor. It is as if, it is, it is as if excuse me, God is preparing her for a particular work and a particular thing. Verse number 15. Now when the turn of Esther, the the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come unto the king, she required nothing but what he got, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of them that looked upon her. The word obtained is a word that means to happen, to fall out, to come into being. Of everyone that came into contact with Esther, she found favor. It didn't matter who they were. It fell out. In other words, God brought it into being that she was respected, appreciated by these people. It was God that was giving her this opportunity. It was God that had brought her to this place of standing, this place of favor, because there was something that God was doing. And he was going to give Esther the possibility of being a part of it. He was going to open to Esther a tremendous opportunity. Now, there's a reason why this happened. Because among the Persians, there seems to have been a rising, a deep enmity and hatred for the Jews. Have you ever noticed that wherever the Jews go, they prosper? I have. (laughs) Wherever they're at in the world, they seem to prosper. They seem to do very, very well. And I think as they went, first with the Babylonians and then the Persians, I think the Lord blessed them. I think they did well. But what were they? They were the captives of war. They were lower than refugees. They were just the people who were there at the mercy of, their, of those who had dominion over them. And yet they are the ones that are blessed. They are the ones who have favor. They are the ones who are prospering and a deep enmity, a jealousy, and a wicked hatred began to arise, I believe, among the Persians. And I believe they wanted them to be ruined. They wanted their stuff. They wanted a standing 
above them. And Haman is tapping into this anti-Semitism. Haman is tapping into this hatred for the Jews to ingratiate himself to them and to gain more power. Chapter 3 and verse number 13. <clears throat> Excuse me. And letters were sent by the post unto all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is a month of Dar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Satan is hatching genocide. He wants to remove the Jews, to destroy them. It is a satanic incursion. He is the counselor to the king. He is in a trusted position as a close advisor. He seems unstoppable. The situation seems irreversible. It seems that it is impossible to bring a change to this situation. But enter Mordecai, the godly uncle of Esther. He's deeply grieved by the news of the coming annihilation. And day and night he prays. He depends on God. He seeks God's intervention in this situation. He knows that God is bigger than men and bigger than situations. And he knows that in the midst of this virulent hatred for the Jews that God has brought in Esther and made this Jewish girl the queen. An amazing, amazing account. It was God who gave Esther this phenomenal opportunity to do something great in the kingdom. It was God that had prepared her. And I think in Esther, there's a blueprint for how God works. I think there's a pattern for the way that he moves in our life. The first thing God does is he prepares us. When we repent and believe, God saves us. He, he, we are indwelt with the Spirit, and he begins to empower us to do his work. He equips us through the, the ministry of a pastor-teacher, through the work of the Spirit in our life. We begin to grow in Christian character, and our capability for Christian ministry expands. He prepares us for a work that he has for every one of us to do. But not only does he prepare us, he provides us with a blessing. Now think of it. God made Esther queen. Now us men, we know we will never be a queen. And all of us know that we're not going to be a queen. But God has something that he has for each one of us. He prepares us, and then he provides a way of ministry, a way of serving, a way of pushing the kingdom of God forward and accomplishing a particular thing that he wants done. And then God proposes an opportunity. We're prepared, we're equipped, he's provided for us, and then he gives us a chance to participate in his work in a unique and singular way. That is the way God works. Esther is positioned perfectly to influence the situation. Think of the highness act it would be. Think of the selfishness that would be present in Esther if she sought only of her own preservation, only of sustaining her own power and position as a queen, and not realizing that God had saved her, 
and he had prepared her, and he had provided for her, and now she had the opportunity to do something wonderful and amazing for the Lord. It is one thing to miss the bus. It is one thing to miss an educational opportunity. It is one thing to miss an earthly privilege, but it is something far different to miss the opportunity that God provides to you and I. You see, those opportunities are very important to you and I. Very important. Because the opportunity is a journey. And the journey that God gives us includes provision. See, Esther had a choice on how she would use what God had given her. She could use it for herself, for her own ends, her own desires, her own means. Or she could use what God had provided her. She could take advantage of the opportunity that God had given her to accomplish his will and his purposes. Look with me in Esther chapter 4 and verse number 13. Esther chapter 4 and verse number 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come into the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther Mordecai says, God is bigger than this situation. God is bigger than a Haman. God is bigger than this obstacle. God is bigger than the impossibility which is facing you. God has prepared you. He has provided. He has equipped. And the opportunity is before you. Esther, that opportunity also includes your deliverance. Because when God gives you a journey, and God provides us a journey, he also provides protection. He also provides provision. The provision of security, of safety, is in the opportunity. And that is so important to understand, that if we are not taking advantage of the opportunity that God has given us, if we are not pursuing the journey that God has given us, then we are not partaking of the safety and, of, and the promise of deliverance that, are in, that is in that journey. Douglas MacArthur said, There is no security on this earth. There is only opportunity. There is no security. Nothing is guaranteed. There is nothing that we can say with absolute certainty as far as this world goes is an absolute. There is only the possibility of stepping into the opportunity and finding deliverance. There have been people in the world that have been faced with war, faced with unbelievable hardship, But early in the situation, for some, there was an opportunity to escape. There was an opportunity to flee. There was an opportunity to find a different future. But they thought in the present that maybe this will pass. Maybe it's not as bad as I think it is. Maybe it's not going to go the way that I think it might go. And they didn't take the opportunity And their situation was much harder much later. 
When God gives us the opportunities, he is giving us the possibility of deliverance. The church in Ireland adjoins the sixth biggest police station in the country. And that's important because a Baptist church is not the most popular thing in Ireland. Um, people don't generally come to a Baptist church. They don't they generally appreciate a Baptist church. Or maybe there's a tacit tolerance of a Baptist church. But as we've sought God's vision, there's been a kind of protection that is given us. I'm just saying that we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what tomorrow brings. And the safest place for me, the safest place for us, is in the middle of God's will. It is fulfilling the purpose of our life. It is seizing the opportunities that God has brought to us. And in pursuing those opportunities, we find deliverance. And that is what Mordecai wants Esther to know. Why are we convinced that so often doing nothing and holding back and refusing to go forward, refusing to trust him for our future, refusing to step through the gap that he has given, that that is deliverance? As I said earlier, one of the big struggles in church planning in every field has different struggles, um, is getting a building. Ireland is not the UK. It is a Catholic country. It was 93% Catholic. When we came, it's about 75% Catholic today, and there just are not buildings. In the property escalations, there are huge variances in rent. We um, prayed much and, and negotiated for a year to get the building. Where Finally, at the end of a year, we threatened to pull out of the deal completely. There were no other offers. We prayed that there wouldn't be any offers. And then God worked, and they relented. And we were able to rent the building. But we rented the building for 25,000 euros a year. That was the rent. The previous tenants were renting the building for $60,000 a year. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that if you're at 25 and the previous ones were at 60, that your rent is going to increase. We were in a downturn in 2011. But it, there were things that were happening in the economy where, which said it would probably recover. So we began to pray. And we began to pray. We'd actually been praying for seven years. And we realized that God was providing an opportunity here to establish the work, to secure a better future for the work. As we prayed, out of the blue, a trust was donated to us. Now, we've done fundraising in the past, and nothing's happened. <laughs> we've done different things, and it's been sometimes messy, sometimes just really nothing happened. But this time, when we were in the Lord's will, things began to happen. And the Lord began to work in an amazing way. A trust was donated to us, miraculously. And that set in order a chain of events which began to unroll. And after a five-year fight for the building, four weeks ago, we were able to complete the sale of the building. Buildings in our area right now, for 3,000 square feet, are at least 5000 a month, and the church is only paying 3700 a month. And it consumes 80% of the offering, but we're able to sustain it. We're able to do it. And can I tell you what seemed to be an impossibility, which seemed to be absolutely no answer. It seemed like there was no outcome. It was an actuality, an opportunity. It was a thing that God would use, that he would, he would provide for us, he would secure a future for us through the opportunity, 
not standing back and refusing to step forward, refusing to trust him, refusing to go through the door that he had given her, given us. Rather, it is moving forward. Sometimes it feels safer to stay at home, to avoid the possibility of a problem. Sometimes we can develop a medical problem, and we can think that we don't want to go to the doctor. We want to see how it works out. But sometimes it is better to go through the invasive test, to make the appointment, to get the treatment. Esther knew that God had placed her there, and Mordecai reminded her that her safety is found in pursuing God's will and doing what it is that he wants her to do. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 15. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Circumspectly means precisely, accurately, exactly. It refers to points that are equidistant from a center point, a circle, essentially, a line. And God is saying, be careful to walk this particular distinct journey that I have given you. It has a shape. It has a certain nature to it. Make sure that you are not pulled aside. Make sure that there are not periods of your life that are outside of my will. These journeys are time sensitive. There is a need, the Bible says, to walk circumspectly because the time must be redeemed. Notice what he says here. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Josh Billings said, opportunities are rare, and those who know how to seize upon them are rarer. When we know what God is doing, when we see the work that he is doing, we perceive, we understand, we see how we have been prepared, we see how God has provided, and we see the door that God has given the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to participate, the opportunity to be a part of what he is doing. And when we walk through that door and we become part of what God is doing, the kingdom is moved forward and the opportunity is capitalized on. Our life begins to reap the destiny that God has put in front of it. Our life begins to take a different color, a different shape. In a sense, our lives are marked by used by dates, except no one knows exactly when that date is. It is only a period of time that God has given. We only have a certain amount of time before we take our last breath, and then the opportunity is gone. How long do any of us have before our opportunities are taken? Can I tell you that there are fantastic opportunities in Ireland right now. Beth and I are incredibly excited. We have tremendous opportunities like we've never had before to reach Irish people. We're doing new programs and new situations. We have new situations whereby we're reaching into their lives and seeing people saved. And there's people in the wings who are considering the gospel. It is an awesome thing. Ireland is changing. It's closing as a mission field. But there are still opportunities. 
Secularism and evolution are so unsatisfying. Have you ever met a happy, joyful, contented atheist? I haven't. I've never seen one. They're churning. They're discontent. They're frustrated, haughty. They're off on some sidetrack. They're, they're chewing on that raw, dry bone of secularism and atheism, and it is wholly unsatisfying. Praise God that you and I have taken advantage of the opportunity that God has given. And praise God that there is a lighthouse. Praise God that we can go knock on doors and we can give people gospel and people can come in and they can hear a good, clear gospel presentation. Praise God for the opportunities that there are in Ireland. It is a free, open, and dynamic community. The gospel can be preached ever so freely. In some ways, it's rated more free than the U.S. is because of the things that we can do in the proclamation of the gospel. Europe is open. I don't think immigration is going to change. I don't think it can change. While I, I, I respect um, what is being done to limit immigration and protect national sovereignty, I think Europe doesn't have the will, nor does it necessarily have the means to stem it. It may be a trickle, it may be a torrent, but immigration is going to continue. And can I tell you that there are huge opportunities among immigrants in Europe. There are pockets of immigrants. And not all of them are open, but some of them are. And they are coming in. Germany has taken over a million immigrants in the last year. That is a catastrophic number. It's a huge number of people. These pockets are scattered throughout Europe. And there are tremendous possibilities for them. If you'll notice the church, it is primarily made of immigrants. We reach out to the Irish. Our focus is the Irish. But they're open. They're young. They're smart. And many times they're displaced. They're separated from family. They're separated from the culture and the pressures of the culture that they grew up in. And they are somewhat open to the gospel. There's opportunities around us as they come from Africa, from Eurasia, uh, from South America. There's also opportunities because of darkness. Europe is descending into darkness. And as I've watched from afar, our, uh, the U.S. and the changes in culture, and Beth and I, as we come back, we notice distinct changes in culture. But can I tell you that, that Europe has changed more? That Europe is shifting from that Judeo-Christian foundation and a darkness is descending upon them. They've rejected their Judeo-Christian heritage and taken rationalism. Anything is equivalent to or even better than Christianity. They're swimming in a pool of darkness, drowning in the lies that they have been told. And in the midst of this darkness, some of them harden. But in the midst of their misery, some of them open. Some of them have been lied to. Some of them have been deceived by the darkness which is around them. And they see it. But they don't have anywhere to turn. Except you and I bring gospel preaching to them that will liberate them from the darkness that envelops them. The light that you and I can bring them can bring them hope when their evolutionary secularism never did. It can give them a path, a future. It is you and I that have the possibility of bringing these opportunities. And can I say that as independent Baptists, we do really well with missions. 
I don't know if you know it, but um, neo-evangelicalism, many of these churches moving to apostasy that are, that are washing out on their doctrine, that are mimicking the world, these churches do almost nothing for missions. I don't know if we know that. There are exceptions. There are some churches here and there. But on average, these churches do very little for missions. It is people like you and I in gospel preaching independent fundamental Baptist churches who are living close to the Lord, who sense the doors that he's opening, we're the ones who are walking through and taking those opportunities, seeing people saved, God's redeeming them and congregating them into New Testament Baptistic assemblies. He's growing them and they're reproducing and reaching out and growing new communities around them. God gives us the opportunity, but he never forces us. He never forced me to go to Ireland. He'll never force any of us to do what we refuse to do. He simply gives the choice. He gives the chance. So our life really distills down to the way God has prepared, the way is provided, and the opportunities that he has given. And what we do with those opportunities. It was Esther's privilege to be used. It was Esther's privilege to finally overcome the obstacles that she had. Shakti Guan said, an obstacle is often an unrecognized opportunity. Chuck Swindoll said, we are, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situation." Just because there is an opportunity does not mean it will be uncontested. It does not mean that Satan will not fight against it, that he will not seek to prevent it. But the obstacle is not a closed door. The obstacle does not mean that God is not leading. The obstacle is sensing something that God gives you as you seek to capitalize on the opportunity. How can we as independent Baptists, go into the heart of Europe and plant New Testament fundamental independent Baptist churches. Outwardly, knowing the people, knowing the challenges, it's impossible. But in actuality, it is an impossibility. In the 1930s, Hitler led Germany to produce a vast war industry. As they began conquering cities, in 1939, they seemed unstoppable. They had multiple divisions of panzer tanks, the most advanced tanks in the world, I think, at that time. They had extremely advanced submarine warfare, a large air force. They conducted mass attacks. Poland, France, Austria, Denmark, Sweden fell before them. And there was one little country and one very important ally, the US, that stood between them and domination. In 1940, he began the Blitz. He began to take on Britain, to bring them to submission. He offered them generous peace terms, but who knows what that murderous thug would have done had they given to the peace treaties that he offered. They began to pound Britain. The Battle of Britain in 1940 was a battle for air superiority. And the British pilots went up in a life and death fight for their country and for their people. 
They fought tenaciously, ferociously, and eventually the cost was too high for the Luftwaffe. On September 7, 1940, they began a 57-day campaign. For 56 of the next 57 days, they pounded London. They destroyed over a million homes and killed 40, over 40,000 people. In the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this seemingly impossible situation, Churchill rose. He rallied the people. He galvanized support because he saw in the midst of what seemed impossible an opportunity to deliver England, to secure its future, to lift the darkness that was closing around them. If you are saved, you are an ambassador. If you and I are saved, we are indwelt by the God of heaven and our lives are not random. They are not chance. They are not something that has just occurred. Our lives have a meaning. They have purpose and God is working. He is preparing. He is strengthening you and I. And he is giving you and I a place, an opportunity of service. And he is opening the door and saying, here is my chance. Here is the opportunity that I'm giving you. What are you going to do with the opportunities that he presents you? What are we going to do with the opportunities that he provides us? Because they are our deliverance. They are the means by which we will be protected and provided for. And they are the thing that will provide meaning and value to the life that God has given. If you'd stand together, me, together with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Your life is beautiful. It's amazing. It is a work that God has done. Not only has he redeemed you, he, the God of heaven, has worked in you. And it has always been for a purpose. There has always been a reason that God has done that. Esther was not chosen because of her beauty, per se. She was chosen because God had a plan for her life. And God gave her the position she had. And she was brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. As our world goes into increasing darkness and as our world descends into greater and greater levels of depravity can I tell you there are opportunities in that that God will open doors God will open avenues of service God will give us the opportunity to make a difference in the world which is around us and are we willing to take the opportunity are we willing to, to throw off the error that Satan gives, that safety is found in pulling back. The lie that safety is found in doing nothing. Are we willing to trust him? Are we willing to take the opportunity that God has given to accomplish his perfect purposes? 
the quietness of the moment, I pray that if there is a decision that maybe you need to make, maybe there is an opportunity here at Trinity, there's a place of service that God is opening to you. Maybe there's something in world evangelism that God wants you to do. Maybe there is a call that God is giving to you to go to the mission field. Can I tell you that there are great needs in the world which is around us. We desperately need more personnel, more people on the mission field. Friend, there are opportunities, but they are time sensitive. And I pray in the quietness of the moment that you allow the Lord to truly speak, truly reveal his will and his way for your life.